I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author, public speaker, and lawyer, David Erdman, J.D. His new book is The Ten Commandments of Marriage, Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer. What kind of a divorce lawyer writes a book to encourage people not to get divorced? Well, David Erdman has been consulted as a divorce lawyer in 5,000 marriages. He reveals marriage-saving lessons learned from those clients that will make a positive difference for those who are married. He's sensitive, his sensitive understanding of all points of view in a divorce, the spouse and the child, provides a unique outline to strengthen a great marriage or revive a troubled one. Happily married for more than 35 years, he has an engineering degree from Duke University and is a graduate of Georgetown University Law School. Uh, His goal is to help people, whether clients or audience members, to think strategically about how to improve their marriages. Welcome to the show, David. Nice to have you here. Well, I'm honored to be with you, Catherine. Well, one of the things that's been said... um, about this book, that if you read the book, as I understand it, most likely none of us will never need to meet with a divorce lawyer. Now, I have to say you're a little too late for me, but <laughs> there are a lot of other people out there who may need, who need it. Okay, so let's start with that. Um, you're a divorce attorney writing a book about not getting a divorce, which seems to be, what, an oxymoron? I don't know. Uh, but, well, uh, and, it, yeah, go ahead. It may be va- vaguely uh, oxymoronic, yeah. but uh, the fact is that, that I, I believe, uh, I believe the best of fellow lawyers, uh, that they want to do, as I do, what's in the client's best interest. And so, when people come to me, if you think about this, yes, sometimes both people in a marriage want to break up. But many times in a marriage, only one of the two wants the marriage to end. And so I've got a 50-50 shot of being with somebody who wants to save her marriage or save his marriage. So I want to help that client. Now, on the other side, if somebody's leaving their marriage, I want to listen very carefully. It's their decision. I don't try to decide for them. But I do try to help them, and the book tries to help them understand what their divorce would look like. So, David, let's take the first one, the first example. Let's say a couple does come, and both of them want to get a divorce. Is that a different process uh, than, I would assume that it is, than if one wants to stay and one wants to leave? What do you do with the couple who says, we both want out? Well, a very that's, that's the easiest of the situations because both people are going to be happier, or at least they believe they're going to be happier once the divorce has been accomplished. Now, of course, of course, Catherine, lawyers can only meet with one side of that equation, so I can only meet with one client. But if a client comes to see me, be she or he, a person who says, both of us want this, I say, well, let's try to do it in the absolute most amicable matter, manner. But I also ask them, do you have children? And, of course, if I learn they have children, I've got to point out to them that even in this amicable breakup where they both agree, they're only going to see their children half as much as they used to. And, and they've got to think about how that affects their lives, the adults, and how it affects the children's lives. I simply point this out. Uh, but uh, that's the best situation because we can almost always reach an amicable and efficient and relatively low-cost solution if both 
sides want the divorce. That is the predominant. But what about if both sides want the divorce and you are the attorney for either him or her, how do you deal with the maybe the lawyer that perhaps, because you're only representing one, the other side, and the other lawyer doesn't have that point of view and they don't want to point out or make it so that it is an amicable divorce, but they start getting nasty and and not don't have the same goal in mind as you. How do you handle that? What do you do? Because that happens well, a lot. Well, first off, I, for, it happens a lot. I explain to my clients that there are four people in the transaction, and any one of them can be unreasonable. I find that unreasonable clients seek out unreasonable lawyers. They want somebody who's going to fight, 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 fight. But if they're going to have a fight, 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 then they don't have an amicable divorce, do they? On the other hand, if, if, that, if both of them want it, they should go, to, even their aggressive lawyer should, should understand that and should help them um, handle it in an efficient way. They, they, the other lawyer is going to say, oh, oh your, your spouse has got David Erdman as, as the lawyer. Uh, he'll work with us and I'll work with him uh, to try to um, get to a signed agreement, no court. Uh, the, the situation you're describing where there's going to be an aggressive move by some lawyer is probably, probably not going to be a marriage in which both people want the divorce even to start. And that precipitates fight. Well, I had a divorce 30 years ago, which is the amicable kind of divorce and both lawyers are as you described like you wanting you know wanting the best for the couple and best for the children and it worked out that way and worked out well and I, th- I think one of the thi- yeah and I think one of the things one of the attorneys said if you look at your divorce agreement or you know 20 10 or 20 years later and it's you still said you know this was fair then it was a good then it worked out which is I I, I did that and it does I mean that was a long time ago anyway okay so yeah. you've got 10 but Ten Commandments of, of Marriage. That's what the book is about. So let's start with uh, some of those Ten Commandments. Um, there seems, when you say Ten Commandments, obviously, and I was reading the book, it's like there's a biblical quality to the, to the well, Ten Commandments, well, right? Well, thanks for looking right? at it. What? I, yeah. I, I, I make it clear in the introduction that I don't have any illusion that I am God decreeing commandments. <laughs> but what better word is there to emphasize the importance of a particular, we'll call it a rule, a policy, or a suggestion. So I chose Ten Commandments. Uh, It is indeed called the Ten Commandments of Marriage, Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer. Um, Those those commandments are positive. By the way, I, I, I looked in the Bible recently and noticed that seven out of the ten biblical commandments are negative. Do not do this. Do not do that. Nine of the ten that I have written are thou shalt, actions which I hope people will take. The only do not allow is commandment number eight, thou shalt not allow children to obstruct your marriage. It sounds like a, a, I have to explain that in the book, but, but uh, children, of course, are so, so, so important but they should not become the cause of the breakup of a marriage. Okay, the give us an example of that, because that's important, I think. Uh, that's obviously a very important well, commandment. What does that mean, well, the children should not be the cause of the breakup? Well, um, but first off, the children 
should never, ever, ever, ever be blamed or feel that they are being blamed. We know that. But, but um, what happens is, um, what, what ha- okay, I'll give it to you. When a child is born, what happens is the parents have to take tremendous 24-hour-a-day care of that child. And sometimes, sometimes a new, and, and by the way, I, I, I've, I've made a point, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a great believer in gender equality, but I've made a commitment in this book to, to tell it as I see it. And therefore, there may be some gender, uh, uh, I won't call them stereotypes, but tendencies. Okay, there's a tendency for some young mothers to be hyper, hyper protective of their new infant and won't let the daddy even touch the child. Or if they let him touch it, they see him change the diaper one time and say, you didn't do that right, I'll undo it from now on. And what happens is it estranges the, the dad at the time when the dad should be learning how to be a co-parent, an equal parent, an involved parent from the first diaper change. So that's how, that's one instance in which the child can become an obstacle in the marriage. And a lot of, a lot of, a lot of husbands, a lot of fathers um, that come to divorce lawyers, I'm not speaking of the great, happy, happily married mass of people in America, but a lot of unhappy fathers come and complain that the child has taken the husband's place as the center of the mother's affection. Do you think that is true, let's say, as true, I don't know, as, as with this generation as it was with the past generation, as women's roles and men ro- men's roles have been evolving? Uh, you know, men, I mean, traditionally still women are the ones who take care of the kids and still work outside the home and end up doing, I guess I'm talking statistically, do both, whereas men tend not to do that. And so it kind of plays out in a divorce. I, I, I think that well, does happen. <laughs> I, I don't believe in letting men off the hook. I absolutely believe that men should, as I tell many fathers, stay close with your children. Stay close to your children. And that means, means hand-on involvement. Are we better in this era? I would like to think so. I even, I'll even go so far as say I suspect that we're somewhat better. But there's a difference between bearing a child inside a woman's body for nine months in terms of attachment that is entirely natural. But as I say in the book, and I emphasize, uh, except for breastfeeding, there is not a single responsibility related to a child for which a woman is more suited than a man. And men need to understand this, and women need to help them and insist that they understand this. This brings equality in the marriage. And by the way, the first commandment of marriage is thou shalt be equals. And so, so once that child comes, I want to see equality. And, and by the way, when we do see equality, we don't see divorces. It's, it's asymmetrical relationships where someone is ascendant and the other is feels subjected uh, that uh, that make people unhappy and bring them into a divorce lawyer's office. Sorry, you're talking about equal, uh, equality in marriage. That's, I mean, that's a great goal. Not necessarily all, obviously, always achieved. But 
I, I thought the first commandment had to do with don't be a selfish pig. <laughs> which I think cool. is really right on, on, which is really an issue when it comes to divorce and marriage. Well, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 one of the one of the phenomena that I've observed uh, in the matter of being equal is that if, if I can explain this, I'll do it quickly. But many times we can envision the historic situation of. One spouse is going to medical school, and the other spouse is supporting that person in medical school for the obvious mutual benefit of a doctor's later success in life. And, and nowadays, by the way, that, may, that spouse in medical school may well be female. But what happens is the non-medical student spouse becomes a personal valet, driver, chore doer, child tender, does all the work for this person so they can go study in medical school. And what happens is an inequality arises out of that, out of that circumstance that, that if they don't think ahead about it, they may find that, that, that they've got a very demanding doctor and a, and a, and a spouse who's been relegated to a, almost a servant. This has happened historically more to women. Nowadays, it's happening to men as well. So what do you do about that? How do you mitigate that? I mean, how do you... We, you talk, we talk about it. We recognize it up front. And the, the, the spouses have to affirm to each other as often as possible that they, that they love each other, that they're in this process of, of life together. And uh, as, I, as I mentioned, as in that commandment about equality, uh, there's probably a need for some what I call equitable payback to the to the servant spouse um, after the medical school has been completed. I'm not picking on doctors. This happens in law schools. It happens in business schools. It even happens in high pressure jobs. I'm sure on Wall Street, people say, "Well, I've got to work all the time, and you've got to take care of." the family and the house and getting gas in the car and paying all the bills. Uh, it's what I call a master-servant relationship that evolves in what was once a nice equal relationship. So I warn people in the, um, warn young people especially, uh, to, to be mindful of that possibility as they're planning their lives together. What about the finances? Because, you know, things have changed in regard to, you know, both couples maybe are both working. Maybe one has a more high-powered job. Maybe one makes a lot more money. What Maybe one brings a lot more money to the table to begin with, family money, and then also makes a lot more money. So that how do you reconcile those, you know, equality, you know, or, well, yeah. By the way, absolutely. Well, first off, in a marriage that's going to work, Money is not the measuring stick for equality. Yes, there are people who fall out of their marriages because of an inequality that one of them sort of imposes on the other because, A, you don't make as much money as I do. But uh, the fact is that if these people – that's what I'm teaching. That's what I'm teaching. The, the, the commandment, the secret of a divorce lawyer, the commandment, thou shalt be equals, means – don't look at each other from a money standpoint. And in fact, I cite in the book a, 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 a true story about 
uh, a very successful uh, man, happens to be, um, that I know, who makes millions of dollars every year. But that guy views his wife as his equal, and it doesn't matter that she doesn't earn an income. That, that's the least of their concerns. The point is to have a happy, equal marriage where they both feel appreciated. Uh, and, and I'm confident he appreciates her for, for her role in their lives together. What about the, uh, you know, I'm kind of trying to push this point, I guess, but, okay, so let's say, in this case, the man, and the example in the book is he makes a lot more money, but he respects his wife, uh, even though she doesn't make as much money, but that's not true when you put them in the context of the outside world, where maybe for years and years, he's the one who gets the accolades at the party, or at the, you know, he's the one who gets the promotion, or he's the one that people look to, and she's not, because of that, because of his position, and because of his money, that builds up over time with couples, even though they... Well, you're... Yeah, go ahead. Well, you're right. Of course you're right. Uh, but but the, the, a, a, a marriage... By the way, one of the, one of the other commandments of marriage is to live a marriage-centered life. And uh, people, people might be skeptical about that at first, but I point out in the marriage, in the commandment that they be marriage-centered is, okay, and I'll get back to your point, if they're not marriage-centered, where is the center of their life? Is it money? Is it some out, outside activity? What is the center of their life? And it, it devolves, in my mind, back to the proper center of a marriage literally being the married life together. And then build out from there with children and with career. So you, you, you bring up the money issue. Again, um, if, if, if money is the measuring stick, then there will be inequality in every single marriage there is except those one-tenth of one percent of them where both people work at the same job, they've worked for the same employer, they've worked for the same length of time. You see what I'm saying? Other or they're that, in business together, have a, which would be another, right? They're, yeah. Great insight. Great insight. Yes, they're in business together, and uh, I have... Oh, too many divorce situations that can arise out of that because that's a difficult uh, that's a difficult situation to unwind if one of them wants out. If they both want out, they can find a plan that'll work to sell the business together. But if only one of them wants out, then then there's a fight over who gets to keep the business because they certainly can't keep working together. So if, and I was looking up the statistics, uh, like 30, what is it, 30, not, 40 to 50% of marriages wind up in divorce. It's kind of been, and, and sort of remains steady in that category over many, many years, I guess, at least over the past 10 years. So why is that? Because they're not following the well, Ten Commandments I, of Marriage. I, I, they're not, that, <laughs> true enough. <laughs> right. By the way, the whole point of, the Ten Commandments of Marriage is to learn from the mistakes of others because it's so much better to learn from the mistakes of others than to make every mistake ourselves. Um, but um, when I hear those statistics, and they may be true, um, they, they probably are true, we have to recognize one, one fact which is necessarily immediately obvious, and that is some of those are second marriages and third marriages. And that doesn't surprise me a bit. I'm happy, by the way, whenever I hear that someone has remarried happily. I think you implied that that's your situation, and, and I'm, I'm delighted that that's the case. 
But well, many, I'm just going to correct times. you on one little. I was married for 20 oh. years. I mean, this full transparency. Okay. And for 30 yeah. years, I've had the same partner, but we're not married. And we, I yeah, see. we, and it works out very well. But we are totally, well. we have for 30 years, committed to one another and uh, even have separate houses when we want to. So that's worked. I mean, there. I think today there are a lot of different combinations of relationships, which you can choose from, which I think is good. But anyway, so 30 years of commitment, but not married. Well, and you know what, that when people have that arrangement, then it's uh, with no legal, with no legal ties. Uh, That reminds me of that that um, Glenn Campbell song about uh, the words that are written on some line keeping them together. Um, yeah. Uh, when you when it's your when it's done as you are doing it, then then you have an equality because an equality, not an inequality. You have an equality because uh, you both agree to it and you both understand the terms. And I'll bet you have the right to negotiate those terms if there's any issue that comes up. And that's as it should be in a marriage. Um, so I, I, if people, if people treat each other with mutual respect and I have one of the commandments is to appreciate your spouse. And, um, this would also be true in your, in your unmarried partner. You want to appreciate that person and have that person appreciate you, which I'm sure he does or your partner does, whoever that is. Um, so, um, again, these are all positive commandments they are if they followed they'll have a good marriage and if they can just get the equality one right most of the others fall into place well because whether the topic is money or in fact sex or how to deal with the children or how to deal with the outside world uh, if they're if they're truly committed to being equal and recalibrating if they need to from time to time uh, to make sure that uh, that they are sustaining, uh, you know, I asked my wife, do you, do you feel that we are equals? And I think she would say yes. And uh, I would say we're equals, except I'm so impressed by my wife, I'd say, thank goodness you think I'm an equal. Uh, and, <laughs> but I think you just uh, used the word that I think recalibrating is like critical, and a lot of people really miss that boat of recalibrating. They get on a certain track, and it may not work well, but they keep doing the same thing over, and it's not working, and they don't sit down, as you say, before they get to you, before they get to the divorce lawyer, and recalibrate. Okay, we got to do something. We're, it's not working. We have to do something different. We're both good people. I, I think that that's yeah. a really critical um, uh, it, process. It, it, I guess. it is. We, yeah. We, you know, none of us know when we're young how change will come in our lives, but as we live our lives, we see all the changes that have occurred, and and we see how necessary and smart it is to to uh, reassess where we are and to renegotiate where we need to. Uh, but with that commitment uh, at heart to try to make it work. And, um, and there are many reasons to try to make it work. Do you ever get into, you know, I'm a social worker, counselor, uh, which is obviously a different perspective, different point. Uh, well, I see a different sometimes point of view. But how much do you think the effect of each uh, on the couple 
uh, their own parents' marriage and or divorce impacts them when like when they come to you. Well, you know, one might come from well, a family yeah, where yes. mom and dad, their parents have been married for 60 years happily, and then that and the other one, you know, not the case. You know, a very chaotic. Their parents had a very chaotic marriage. How, you know, where does that come into play? Well, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to say two words: permission and credibility. Once, once a, once a, I'll call them the grandparents just to try to explain who where we are in the family tree. With the grandparents, meaning the parents of the married couple, if they're divorced, they have relatively little credibility upon which to base their critique of their children's divorce. And in fact, to the contrary, they've given permission because they have made that the, uh, the pattern that, the, that their own child has been most exposed to. So I do believe that coming from a divorced family probably makes it easier for a married person to think, I can go through a divorce. But I will say, Catherine, that I encounter the opposite determined feeling on the part of people not to break up their family. And most often it's because they say, they don't say because my parents divorced, they say because I came from a broken family and I don't want to have that for my children. That's what I hear. So it it, it works both ways, I guess, what you're saying. I have one last question because we only have three minutes left, but what about, what? and people are going to have to read the book to really, to um, find out what the other Ten Commandments or the other Eight Commandments of Marriage are. But what about couples who stay together do you, that you see that you think, you know, they walk into your office, you have all this discussion, you think, you know, these that they give it up. You really shouldn't stay married. And they do stay married. And people who stay married, you know, as my mother used to say, leading quiet, quiet lives of desperation. They stay married for 40 or 50 price. years. <laughs> That's right. the, yeah. So... Well, ever? well, I'll respond to that. I, I, I don't want anybody to, by the way, I want, I want for everyone the opportunity to fulfill all that life can offer them. But interestingly enough, people even remarry the same person at times. There are so many instances of ups and downs in a marriage where this year, or let's say eight years ago, somebody came to me and was very, very unhappy with their marriage, and I see them out on the street, and they're still married to the same person, and I whisper, how you doing? And they say, we're doing great, and I'm so happy to hear that. So the ups and downs of a marriage have got to be a very consistent down before somebody should forfeit the relationship, in my opinion. But again, I work for a client, a client calls the shots, but I try to help them understand where that shot will take them. Well, it's, uh, lots of good information today, and I want to. I'm going to mention the book again. Obviously, the Ten Commandments of Marriage: Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer. So we've learned some of the secrets of a divorce lawyer, but not all of them. So you have to get the book. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, it's, it's and, on Amazon. So, yeah, go ahead. Tell us where we can get the book, that, and I, uh, yeah. I, 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 I'm not featuring a, a website for it uh, at this point, but uh, it's, it's available on Amazon, and it is called The Ten Commandments of Marriage, Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer, and it is positive lessons about marriage distilled from 
5,000 client encounters over a long career. Well, you certainly have the credentials. Plus, you've been married for 35 years, so you've got it all. <laughs> uh, but, David, thanks so much for being I'm, on the show today. It was really great talking to you. Catherine, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 